Take your Bible and turn to Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. Last week we launched out into a study of the book of Proverbs in a sermon series that we started last week entitled Worship and Wisdom. And, and so that you kind of understand, it's not that you, we're going to study Proverbs and learn just about wisdom and not worship, and then we're going to go to the Psalms and study Psalms and learn about worship and not wisdom. But that is kind of the, the, the dual thing that we're going to have going here. I'm going, to, I'm going to introduce Psalms in a few weeks, and then I'm going to begin to teach through the first book of Psalms, along with Proverbs. And so we're going to go back and forth between these two great books that really get light treatment, unfortunately, in our day, both of them, especially the Proverbs. As a matter of fact, I was talking with uh, Heath uh, Compton after uh, this week, actually, and Heath laughed and said, you know, my preaching professors would have told you never to preach from the book of Proverbs, you know, as an expositional sermon series. And that's kind of the attitude is you can't teach this way through the book of Proverbs. And I did admit to you last week, it won't be like the other uh, sermon series that you've heard that are expositional here. Why? Because if you've ever read Proverbs, uh, and, and uh, some of you, I'm sure, have read through Proverbs uh, some of you countless times. If you ever read through, it becomes very repetitive, doesn't it? I mean, there's themes in the book of Proverbs that are revisited over and over and over again. And so what we're going to do is the first nine chapters are somewhat, uh, somewhat uh, able to be exposited and then through verses. And then in the last half of the book, the book demands that we pick up themes and, and run the theme through the book. So there's several themes from chapter 10 through verses, uh, chapter 29 that I will emphasize. The, the sermons will be more topositional, but that's because the book itself is that way. And so that's kind of into the future. That's what we're looking at. But if we look at Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, last week we looked at verse 1 all by itself. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So we spent our time last time talking about who Solomon was. Who was Solomon? Solomon is the most, uh, the most gifted and wise man to walk the planet, other than Jesus Christ and Adam pre-fall. Adam, Adam had a, a, an amazing mind also. As a matter of fact, if you look, and we won't take the time, but I read it to you last week, 1 Kings chapter 4 tells us that Solomon, much like his forefather Adam, classified the known plants and animals in his day. So you see a very... Uh, uh, a characteristic much like Adam. He had a mind that was uh, ablaze with wisdom that had been given to him by the request that he made in 1 Kings chapter 3. Remember, Jesus, the Lord came to him in a dream and God said, what shall I give to you? And Solomon's reply, I want wisdom to rule your people the way you rule your people. That's what I want. And so God blessed him with wisdom. Wisdom like no one else has ever had and no one before or since him has had except Jesus Christ or Adam. And so we look at Solomon last week. Now we want to look at the, the beginning here. Verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. 
Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, what is he doing in this, the prologue? This is the, the introduction of the book of Proverbs. If you look at the verses, they break down very simply. Verses 2 through 4, verses 2 through 4 really are an introduction to the first nine chapters of the book. The goal of the first nine chapters is that the youth, the young man, the one without understanding, the one without instruction will gain that instruction from his father. We're going to see their fatherly proverbs. Solomon to his younger counterparts. Okay, And then if you start in verse 5 and go to verse 6, you see that he transitions to those who have understanding, those who have wisdom, those who are wise, that they would have more wisdom and more understanding. So what he's really doing there in this prologue is the next verses are dealing with those who are older, those who already have some wisdom. They have some measure of experience. He's saying they need more than that. They need more than that. And then verse 7, and we'll see the last point of the sermon, will deal with the summation. How then is the young man to have wisdom, and how is the, the, the older man to grow in wisdom? How is that supposed to happen? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So how do we accomplish what he sets out for us in verses 2 through 4 and 5 through 6? Verse 7 gives us the answer. So those are the points of the sermon. First of all, in the book of Proverbs, we see that it's young men who are called on to have uh, prudence, to have instruction, to have wisdom. And really, if we look at this, wisdom, instruction, knowledge, understanding, they're all a twist on the same thing. They're all, they're all similar, but not exactly the same. So let's look at verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. First of all, the, the proverb writer, Solomon, says, Young men need to have wisdom. Young man need to have, a young man needs to have wisdom. So, look what he says. Wisdom and instruction. Wisdom, as we've come to know it, is the idea that not only does a person have knowledge, but they have life experience. You can learn, the proverb writer and the Bible would teach us, you can learn all you want from a book, but until it is applied knowledge, it doesn't become wisdom. Right? You know that from parenting, don't you? I don't know how you were when you found out you were going to become a parent, but I was scared to death. I was, I was young, and uh, I got married at 20, and four years later, uh, we're having our first child. And I remember, I don't know how you feel, my wife, I mean, almost from the point we found out we were pregnant, went and bought all these books. Right? You, you remember? Yeah, I see guys not here like, yeah, I remember that. Coffee table was filled with them. I did not read any books. Okay? This was my philosophy before my child was born. God gave me a child. I'll know what to do. That, that was my philosophy, Right? And then she was born. I remember when Dr. Daniel, I mean, when uh, the doctor handed her to me for the first time. And I kind of had this, I'd held babies all, a, a lot in my life, but I had this look like a deer in headlights, and it was looking at it like, are you serious? You're sending this home with me. Right? You've had that look. Me and my wife, we walked out of the front of the hospital there at RMC, and, 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 they, and the the. I'd pulled the car around, I had the door open, the nurse is wheeling my wife out, I'm holding the baby, and then we're putting her in the car seat. I mean, we shut the door. 
And I looked at Amy and said, what in the world have we gotten into? These people just sent us home with a child. There's no instruction book for this. What do we do? And she said, I bought all these books. <laughs> yeah, you know? So what we both learned was neither of our approaches really uh, was perfect. Because what you have to have as a young man is experience. You need knowledge. If you don't have knowledge, you don't know what to apply when the situation calls for. You need understanding. You need to learn. But until you apply it, the process isn't finished. That's the way the Lord taught his disciples, isn't it? I mean, we could take the disciples as a test case of young men learning from a wise man, right? What did Jesus do? He taught them, and he trained them, and he, example, he gave them examples of hands-on ministry. And then the book of Luke says, he divided them in twos, all 70 of them, and said, go do it. Right? They went out, they began to preach and teach and heal and cast out demons and bump their heads against the wall and meet people that were stubborn and obstinate and they began to face demons they could not cast out and they came back. And Jesus, sitting by the campfire, says, So how'd it go? They were a lot wiser. They didn't know anything new. They just were a lot wiser. Now they came up and said, Jesus, this worked great. This over here, I'm not so sure about. What do we do with these things? These demons that are so hard we can't cast them out. Jesus understood what Proverbs is teaching us here. That wisdom comes from experience, the applying of knowledge. So I would encourage all of us, all of us, especially young people, myself included. In the Bible, we maybe need to define what young is. Young is anybody that has children at home still under your care and younger. Those are young men. Aaron Acker just became an old man. I can say that. He's, on, he's gone, so he's not here. Right? He just became an old man. Why? Because his last child left home, went off to college. Now he's changed categories. Until you, all your children are raised and applied and out into the uh, workforce or into college or out into the real world, you're still a young man. So when the Bible says young men... And I know I'm looking at people that in our age who think, well, I'm 30, I'm not old, I'm not young anymore, I'm old. No, you're still young, still an infant, still growing, still learning. So what do we see here in the first three verses, two, three, and four? We're to, un we're, we're to know wisdom and instruction. How do we know that? We understand the words of insight, understanding. Jesus, when he was teaching, would often say, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And who has the ability to understand, let him understand. This is the, this is the proverbial way of learning. You, you can hear things and not understand them. Right? I see a lot of parents shaking their heads on that one. Do you realize, teenagers, that your parents are so frustrated with you because you often hear them and do not understand them? Right? It's a condition that you can't help. It's, it's just part of your life. It's the stage you're in. And I know that you're frustrated with your parents because you think you fully understand them. Right? But the Bible tells us right here, as young people, that's myself included, we are to receive instruction, verse 3. Receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. So we're in the position of learning. Young men need wisdom. That's the first point. How do you get it? You receive instruction. 
I never will forget on the farm, you know, I tell a joke with people, they say, what, do you, what, what, what about the farm taught you how to be a pastor? Like, like there's no connection. There's all the connection in the world. I remember when we were planting, we were cotton farmers, we were planting in the spring of the year, and I was in charge of making sure we pulled in the field and folded out the planter. We connected the seed hoppers to the chains so that the chain would pull and open and spin the wheel and the open slot would drop seed in the ground, okay? I was, that was my job. My dad's on the tractor. I pull up in the truck, put the hoppers on, connect the chains, snap them down into place. All eight are in a row. Make sure all of them are in. My dad said, I never will forget, he, he said every time, make sure you check all eight because you only had to put four on. The four in the middle stayed when, even when you went down the road, right? Make sure you check all eight, son. We need to make sure all eight are fastened securely. We need to always check when we go in the field, son. Always make sure they're all connected correctly. Hearing without understanding. I got tired. It's the end of the day. We've, we've moved fields twice already. So I take a shortcut. No one's going to know. I'm snapping these out hoppers, these two on the end down here, and these two on the end. I got them all done. My dad, he, I give him a thumbs up. My dad says, he points at the middle four. It's all good. We ain't got in the truck. All of a sudden, the tractor stops. My dad gets off. This is never a good thing, right? So <laughs> I get out of the truck. I'm like looking out. And I, I see this frustration. I think, uh-oh. He walks to the middle hopper. He bends down. I think, this is not good. I don't need a lot of wisdom to know this is not the posture I want my dad to be in in 90-degree weather when we're trying to plant a cotton crop. So I, I get on the trot. I get out there. What I didn't know was the guy working with us had unsnapped that middle one. Just bad habit. He had unsnapped it. It was still connected to the chain. The chain began to turn with all the RPMs of the tractor and rip the bottom of the hopper out. That hopper cost about $2,000. It was my wage. Not for a month, for the summer. I worked for free. Why did that happen? And why am I telling you that? Because, think with me now, the scenario. I was told over and over again instruction, but I stopped receiving it. I thought I knew. I thought I had all I needed I learned a very important lesson that day. Even when you think you know, it's better to listen and receive instruction than to head out as if you've got it all together and you don't. Some of us are doing that in life. It's not about hoppers and $2,000. It's about marriages. It's about raising our children. It's about pursuing the Lord. It's about working for our employers. We've reached such a status, even as young men and women, that we think we know it all, therefore we don't need new instructions. We don't need to gain more knowledge. We don't need to receive correction. We've got the answer. But the Bible tells us we do not. So a young man needs wisdom. How does he get it? Through instruction and wise dealing. You learn about righteousness, justice, and equity. And, verse 4, the simple are given prudence. 
Knowledge and discretion is given to youth. Young ladies, your dad doesn't like that guy. You don't need to run past that stop sign. God has given him wisdom that you don't have. He's giving you instruction that you need. Young men, your dad seems so harsh and so hard. Maybe he is. But how about applying yourself to his instruction? Rather than questioning, asking constructive questions. Seeking to understand and know. So, we have this instruction to young, young men, young people. But then we have that old men, older people, also need wisdom. Second point is, older people need wisdom. Young people need wisdom, but older people need to gain wisdom. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. I can capture all of this in, you never retire from learning. You never reach a point to which you kick your brain in neutral and say, I know all I need to know. Not in life, not in family, not in business. No area of life is more important that you continue to pursue understanding. There's no point in life in which you need to continue to not be retired. Now, our culture is just the opposite. Our culture is telling all of us, if we can just get to 65, maybe 68, who knows by the time I get there, 75. <laughs> if we could just reach that point at which retirement is ours, then we can, we've got it all. The Bible never speaks this way. As a matter of fact, here we see that even in your elder years, you're to be gaining more wisdom. More understanding. There's nothing more challenging and more encouraging than to see older men, for me, than to see older men who are still reading new books, who are still studying new books of the Bible, who are still trying to understand how to love their wives. Older men, you have a deep responsibility in this congregation, and that is to be a model for us as younger men, to continue to grow and walk in the ways of wisdom, even in your elder years. Without that, younger people tend to take your lead. They begin to think, well, he's taking it easy. I'm going to take it easy. And we can see the whole thing can spin completely out of control. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. I understand it, but I'm not so prideful that I can't Rethink, rehear, reunderstand. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. So, young men, we, we need wisdom. Older men, older people, we need wisdom. But what does verse 7 say? It tells us exactly what we most need. Finally, we all need the fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word fear. When you think about fear, and when I think about fear, often it's not the fear the Bible's speaking of. We could say reverence for the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We could say awe of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We would say, we would say that fear, that fear that's being spoken of is the desire to know Him. We sing songs. I, I was thinking this morning as we are singing, we sing these songs often. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath, completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. We sing them almost flippantly, don't we? They just kind of roll off our tongue. In our day, it's popular to think of God as our best friend. As this benevolent being who just loves everything and everyone, accepting Kind of like your granddad. We've talked about that before in sermons, right? When, we think about, when you think about God, do you think about him like your papa? You know, come sit on his lap. He wants to give you everything. You mess up. You go whine. He, he cries with you, pats you on the back, gives you something to make you feel better. He explains away your sin. This is the way the world thinks about God. Very low thoughts. Very frivolous thoughts. Self-consumed. When the Bible speaks of God, it speaks of a holy being. What does it mean that he's holy? Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. Our Father, who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. What does it mean to be hallowed? It means to be higher than anything else. To be greater than anything else. To be above all else. It wasn't the popular conception. It should not be our popular conception that God is my best friend. But rather, that God the Father is a holy God. And the Bible then goes on to say that His holiness refuses to allow Him to excuse our sin. Our sin is a grievous action against Him. It is direct rebellion. What is sin? Sin is rebellion against God. Sin is, is not just, I made a mistake. Sin is, I will do what I want to do, regardless of who God is. That's what sin is. So we have this holy, hallowed God who we regularly disrespect and rebel against. The reason we sing the song, Jesus, thank you, is the wrath of this holy, hallowed God was ready to be poured out onto us, deservedly so. We are less in comparison to God than cockroaches on my porch to me. Last night, I went to war. We had these German cockroaches, the big ones, you know. They fly. They're outside, don't worry. If you ever see one in your house, it came in. It doesn't have a nest in your house. They don't live inside. They come inside to get food, water, those kind of things. Don't be afraid. It's those little roaches that are the problem. But 
They're on my back porch. I went out, cut the light off. The kids had left and I went to cut it off. And there was like four of them that ran and scurried. I was thinking about the sermon already, but I really thought about it. The fear of the Lord keeps me, the cockroach, sinner. From foolishly standing in front of God as if my sin does not matter. There was a foolish cockroach among the four. He just kind of froze. That was his mistake. He met the bottom side of a size 13. Squished. Crushed. Rightfully so. He trespassed on my property. He deserved what he got. But so many fools in our day stand in front of God like that cockroach stood in front of me. God ain't going to get me. I can do what I want to do. This is my life. I have rights. They don't know that the foot of God's wrath hangs above them. What keeps that foot from falling? Mercy. Grace. Goodness. His name is Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge because without that fear, it doesn't matter what you know about this life, you're not prepared for the next life. We sing Jesus thank you because this holy God who, deserve, who we deservedly should be crushed like cockroaches underneath inserted himself and received the blow. Jesus Christ received the wrath of God. In exchange, He gave us His righteousness. He gave us His holiness. He gave us His wisdom. He gave us the fear of the Lord. Don't trivialize this verse. I, I've done it before where the fear of the Lord is about whether we, how we dress when we come to church or, you know, whether we do certain things on the outside. The fear of the Lord is not an outward thing. It's an inward thing. It is to be rightly aligned with God through Jesus Christ. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. They despise the gospel. They despise Jesus Christ. Now, how can I make that leap that the wisdom and instruction here is speaking about that gospel that we so love? As we close, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. Paul, in his first chapter to the Corinthian church, deals with the idea of fools and wise men. I'm just going to read the passage. I'm not going to make a lot of comment, but I want you to think of this text in light of our text in Proverbs chapter 1, especially verse 7. I want you to listen to Paul's words here. Verse 18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, and they therefore don't have the fear of the Lord. Here, Paul says, the world despises Jesus Christ. Why? Because they view him as foolishness. Yet he is the wisdom of God. For considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. I love Paul. If you ever need to be humbled, just read a little. When you start thinking that you are in the A-plus category, go to this fat chapter right here. Look and say, I must be below C. Right? I mean, it doesn't say there aren't any wise people that are saved. There are wise people who are saved, but not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's the fear of the Lord. You don't dare stand in front of a holy God and talk about how good you are. You stand in front of a holy God and talk about how good and gracious and merciful He is. That's wisdom. You want to know what Proverbs is teaching you? That's wisdom. I'm a cockroach that deserves the crushing blow, and yet, thank you, Jesus. He says... He does this so that no one can boast in front of the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. Not because of your wisdom. Not because of your knowledge. Not because of your understanding. Not because you chose Him. But because He loves you. He placed you in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you skip down chapter 2 and look quickly, verse 14, after talking about this great gospel, look what he says. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly, foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So in the book of Proverbs, what we're looking for is spiritual understanding, spiritual wisdom, spiritual knowledge, not the world's knowledge. Not the world's way. You're going to hear things, young people, that is completely contradictory from the world in the book of Proverbs. You're going to hear things in here in this sermon series, and you're going to say, that ain't, that's not what my teacher says. You're going to hear things that seem so backwards in the way we think because they're spiritual. Because they are not of the ways of this world. 
One of the greatest humanists of our day died recently. He was a great friend to America in many ways. When 9-11 happened, he revoked his British citizenship and became a United States citizen because his desire was to identify with the people of America. He spent his life, his brilliant life, trying to disprove the existence of God. In reading his arguments, he is the most convincing I have ever read. If anyone could have convinced me there was no God, I believe Christopher Hitchens had the best ability. Because, see, it wasn't that Christopher Hitchens refused to believe that there was morality in the world, nor that he believed there were universal laws in the world, but rather that there was a universal God over the world. That's the only thing he disproved, or he felt like it was his job to disprove. In other words, you read some humanists, and it's almost like a free-for-all. They just want a world of just chaos. Every, every man for himself. Hitchens didn't want that. What Hitchens wanted was a self-governed, self-controlled, government-controlled world. That's what he wanted, but without God. That's why I disagree with him fundamentally. He debated Douglas Wilson, uh, his, uh, his debates. They traveled the United States debating one another. Douglas Wilson's a pastor from Moscow, Idaho. You probably don't know who he is, right? Hitchens said he's the most intelligent evangelical I've ever met. He's the kind of evangelical that matters. Why? Because he, he stood with Hitchens on so many things. Morality, government, role of government, role of personal responsibility. But he stood firmly on the fact that that's only possible through God. Specifically through Jesus Christ. These two men debated. From taverns in Boston to King's College in New York. They debated. And they recorded these. It's called Collision. You can get the DVD. It's a great DVD. The thing that will strike you is you have two very intelligent, very, uh, one man who I would put in the category of brilliant, Hitchens. But you only have one man who fears God. You only have one man who knows Jesus Christ. You only have one man who has taken that wisdom that he has been given and entrusted with and placed it in submission to his king. The other is a rogue. He's in rebellion. You watch him and you begin to pity him. At the end of the DVD, Hitchens is just as lost as he was when they started this tour of debates. About six months later, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. A year later, he was dead. His brother Peter, who was also an intellectual and have, who once held his brother's convictions and then became a Christian, has now written a book. I was listening to him being interviewed this week and Peter said, I went in to see him before he died. I pleaded with him. Pleaded with him to believe. His only response was, I've made my fate and now I live in it.
I've made my fate. I've set my course. Now I live with it. He died. One of the world's most brilliant scholars, wonderful, human, giving man, he died. And found out that he was full of folly. Not because he wasn't smart, but because he rejected the wisdom of God, Jesus Christ. Don't be that. The warning of Proverbs is don't be Christopher Hitchens. Don't be smart in your own eyes. Humble yourself before God and know Him. Submit what God has given you to God and let Him use it for His glory. Come to know Jesus Christ. That's what the book of Proverbs is. That's what we're going to study more about. As we get into these specific things, I want you to remember, that's the grid. Christ or no Christ. Wisdom or folly. That's the, that's, that's the point. That's what we'll do. Week after week, we're going to walk through this.